Good morning. Find our way to Haggai this morning. It's a little bitty book in the Old Testament called Haggai. And Haggai is a very interesting little prophet. I say little. Uh, and he's in this group called the Minor Prophets. Minor doesn't mean that it's not important. It just means that it's a shorter book. It's a shorter prophecy. So therefore, it's called a minor prophet. You've got your major prophets that write the really long ones. We find the beginning of Haggai and Ezra. Ezra is where we first find a few of the characters and people that we hear about in Haggai. We hear of a guy named Jerubbabel, and we hear of another guy named Jeshua, who in Haggai is uh, translated as Joshua. So we find these two fellas, and they're named in chapter 2 of Ezra. But Haggai, we're looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 today, and I'm telling you, it's bad news a little bit in these first 11 verses. Next week, we'll get to the good news, but this week, it's a little bit of bad news. See, I'll just hang in there today. I'm not going to beat you up too bad. We'll let the word of the Lord do that. What can we gather, from what we can gather, many of the returning exiles to Jerusalem were poor families and middle-income families. Uh, we, we find this out. Why? For one thing... During the 70 years in Babylon, most of the exiles had come to, consider, come to consider it their home. Further, some Hebrews may have been doing so well financially, they were reluctant to return to Jerusalem and face the dangers involved in rebuilding the temple. And then we also, perhaps, they were preoccupied with the injunction that Jeremiah gave them in chapter 29, verses 5 through 7. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and gather what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Many, when they came back to Jerusalem after being exiled, King Cyrus uh, he said that the, uh, in, in Ezra, King Cyrus said that they could come back to Jerusalem. He said, you can rebuild your temple. So many came back in the book of Ezra, just to give you a little context here. Many Jews came back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild it. Well, there were many that were sad. For those that did return, the foundation of the temple was quickly rebuilt. And the people of Israel rightly celebrated this accomplishment. It was a big deal. However, in their response to their building success, their Samaritan neighbors contrived to slow down their work, and they were successful in frustrating their work and their progress on the temple. Now, when the foundations of the temple were laid in Jerusalem, it was laid in the year 536. The younger men shouted for joy while the older men cried. They wept. Why was that? Let me give you a little bit of, I'm giving you a little bit of depth so you can understand what Haggai caused them to. See, when they first came back to, to Jerusalem, the, the Jews were really excited about it. They were really happy about being back. Now, this was nowhere near all of those that had been exiled. Some had done just as we know here. I mean, you think about Esther. Esther was exiled, and she did not return, her and Mordecai. And so that was held against them for a long time, if you go back and read through that in the story of Esther. But here, these have returned. It's a small portion of the whole remnant that was dispersed due to the exile. Well, they come back, and, and the older, uh, the older uh, people there in, in Israel, they had seen Solomon's temple. 
before they were exiled. They saw it. They saw it in all of its splendor, in all of its glory, and how large it was. And, and they knew that God resided there. But yet, when they returned, everything was, in, everything was destroyed. Because when they got kicked, when they were removed before and, and sent out in bondage and as exiles, man, the, the people destroyed everything there in Jerusalem. And then the younger people, when they come back, they, they all got to work because King, King uh, uh, Cyrus had given them money and Ezra had given him money and materials and supplies and everything to build this temple back. And so they were pretty excited about that. And, and so they got to work. And what did they do? They laid the foundation. Now, at the end of this sermon, I'm going I'm to kind of tell you how this all functions for all of us today. Now, you may say, where does this fit in to all of us today? Well, I, I'm going to tell you how it works. But right now, they, they get to work. And they've come back and understand their houses have been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. And they come in. They're in Ezra. And they build the foundation. Now, the older people, they're still upset. Oh, why, did, why are they upset? They didn't build it on the exact same footprint of the previous temple. Unfortunately, this foundation was considerably smaller than the first temple. They were disappointed. But yet the younger group was just excited. Yes, we've got the foundation laid. But all of them eventually came to this conclusion that it was an exciting time in the life of Israel that this temple was being rebuilt. And so they all rejoiced. And you know what we do a lot of times after we rejoice over something is started? We don't finish. Is this not the message of the church today? So many times we'll start a ministry. Oh, the first few months are great. And then you need people to keep doing it. <laughs> we all get absorbed back into our own lives. We start taking care of our own stuff. And we forget the things that we say that we're so committed to at the church. We're so committed to for the Lord. And then ministries start faltering and flailing to the sides. This is, this, is the, this is the current context for us today. We start ministries. We start things. And somebody has this big heart for it. But yet, and then everybody else is like, yeah, let's go do that. And then for a while, it's good. And then after a while, it just kind of peters off and... It just doesn't quite keep its, it doesn't, it doesn't keep its stamina. It doesn't keep its momentum. Well, these folks, they've gone on and they've started doing their own thing. Matter of fact, it tells us that the temple lay dormant for 16 years. From 536 B.C. until two years after Darius became king of the Persian Empire. That's how long it sat there, for 16 years. Now, as we look at this, who is this Haggai? Who is Haggai? Well, he is a prophet God. He is a prophet of God who was inspired by God to call the people of Israel to rebuild the temple. That's a pretty simple, overarching explanation of who he is. He called the people from their paneled houses, which I'll explain here in just a minute, to continue and finish the work of the temple. The people had become content with their work on the temple, but discontent on their own lives apart from God. And that's what, where we are a lot of times. We find ourselves discontent with our own lives apart from God. The name Haggai is an adjective from the Hebrew word feast. And therefore the priest's name may mean festal. His name could be interpreted feast of Yahweh. And many suppose he was born on a feast day. It is believed Haggai was over, was over 70 years old because he may have seen the old temple. And now is calling for the rebuilding of the temple. 
And the recorded prophetic ministry of Haggai lasted less than four months. Four months. There's a message in that for you and me too. God may not call you to long-term ministry. God may not call you to that. He may call you to do something short, but may have an eternal impact. You may say, I'm scared to step out in faith to do something. I'm scared to do this. God may be only going to use you for a couple of months. He might be only going to use you for a short time, but He's going to use you to start something that may continue on for a long time. I think about some ministries that, that you know, sometimes you don't know if they'll ever last. I mean, I, I came into my previous place of ministry, and they had been doing a judgment house and over basketball for many years. We continued doing that for 10 years later, for 10 more years. For over 20-something years, two major ministries continued called Judgment House and Upward Basketball. And it was, uh, it was great for the community and for the region, if you will. And it was good for fellowship and growth inside of our church with one another and serving with one another. Didn't see a whole lot of uh, people coming into the church itself from those ministries. But we did see a lot of people come to faith and hopefully fill the pews at other churches. Because that's kind of what that purpose was. We see these ministries and we see that, that our, our investment, although sometimes God calls us to a short-term ministry leadership spot, it could have an eternal and long-ranging, reaching ministry. So don't, don't shut the door on the Lord. Don't shut the door on the Lord. Let the door be opened. Do what He's called you to do. And then you may see God bless that long beyond anything that you may have ever be able to... Because number one, Haggai, four months of ministry. Now granted, his, his letter is here in the Bible. It is two pages, literally two pages in my Bible. Not even a full second page. But yet he's in the Bible. And God used him to call the people. Haggai is the only prophet in the Old Testament that was, that was actually obeyed. You know, everybody else, nobody did what the prophet said for them to do. He is the only one in the Old Testament that was listened to and obeyed. That's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Four months, only one listened to and obeyed. And we don't know, we don't know much anything about his, his upbringing. You know, most of these prophets, they'll say who their daddy was. We have no clue who his daddy was. What's important is, is who his father is, and that's God. And he obeyed the Lord, and five times... In the coming verses, in these first 11 verses, five times in the coming text, Haggai makes it absolutely clear that this word comes from the Lord, the Yahweh God, not himself. This comes from the Lord. Listen, when I get up here, I am preaching from the word of God. I'm not preaching what Blake wants to say. I am preaching the word of God. I don't even know what I'd say if I was a preacher and I wasn't coming from the word of God. What do those folks say anyway? I don't know. Hopefully you've never been to one of those churches. I'm going to say what the Word of God says because that's the most important thing you need to know. So he comes to him, and here we've got, and now you're probably wondering, when is he ever going to get into the actual Scripture? Well, here we go. Look there in verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the Word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this, this people says, The time is not yet come, excuse me, the time is not come, the time 
that the Lord's house should be built. Now, I'm going to come back to verse 2. I just jumped ahead. So this is very definitive. It defines very much what time frame of the year this prophet prophecy came by the prophet Haggai, which is very important for us to understand. You may say, well, why did, why did they do that? Why did, they, why, did, why did Haggai put this? Well, there was two different King Dariuses. This is, um, I can't remember. I didn't write his name down in my notes, but this is the second King Darius. Uh, there is, it's also in the sixth month, which the Jewish month is called Elul. And for us, it'd be the month of August. And then it says the first day of the month, so it'd be Elul 1, which for us, it would be the 29th of August. So in August 29th, 536, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai. And it came by Haggai the prophet. Now he is God's leadership. This is God's voice. He is God's voice is a better way of saying that. This is Haggai is God's voice. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. This is the civil leadership. And then... And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, the religious leadership. So God speaks through the prophet, and he speaks to Zerubbabel and also to Joshua. God was wanting to make sure that his people were all on board with what he was about to do. God wanted everyone to know this is so important. Guys, when we do something at the church, communication is vital in a church. Communication is vital. We need to make sure that all communication is, is thorough. When I came to church, we've got this all call here in the office. We could call folks. Man, we could break that thing down all different types of ways. You can call the deacons. You can call women ministries. You can call youth ministries. You can call the whole church. You can call the active deacons. You can call the active and inactive deacons. You can call Sunday school teachers. Anybody and everybody you call. You know why? Because you need to communicate. And God was giving this message to Haggai so that everybody could know, both your civil and your religious, so that everybody could know this is what's about to happen. This is what I'm about to call you to. And so we want to make sure that people know what's going on in the church. It's one of the worst things in the world for you to show up and say, I didn't know about that. Right? Things need to be communicated about. Uh, many of you, you've got a Sunday school group. Or you've got a ministry group and you've created a private page on Facebook so that people in that group can communicate. We've got a security team group. Brother James started that up. Carl's kids, his Sunday school class has got a group. Uh, I think, uh, trying to think, there's several other groups that are on Facebook that are, that are groups so that people can communicate with those who need to know. It's important that we use these resources so that people will be in the know. And so God, because he is the great communicator, communicates to Haggai. The word of the Lord comes to Haggai, the prophet, to go to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. And this is what the Lord says. Now, this is where we start getting into the Lord. The Lord's not been happy with the people in Israel. He's not been happy. And why is that? Well, we're going to read that here in verses 2 through 4. He begins telling them to say, he tells them, Consider your way of making excuses. Consider your way of making excuses. Look there in verses 2 through 4. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time is not come, the time 
that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Okay, so we need to consider our way. I say your, our, because I make them too. Consider our way of making excuses. Right here, the Lord speaks, the Lord of hosts. Many times you see that, that's the Lord of angel armies. And he is, he is the Lord of an army. And that's just giving you more of this emphatic message that he is, he is, he's, got his, he's got his way, and it's going to be done his way. I mean, if, for those of you that's been in the military, you've had um, your, your leadership. Buddy, when they say do it, and they say do it this way, it's to be done that way. There is no other, well, let's do it this way. No, there's no, there's no saying or recommending an alternate route. When the leader says this is how it's done, you do it. And God says unto the word of the Lord came by Haggai, and the Lord spoke, the Lord of hosts saying, this people says. You notice the interesting word there in that? This people says. What does God normally call Israelites and Jews? My people. Mm. You know, that's a big deal right there. God is, God is thinking about that. God says, my people would have obeyed me. This people, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They're making excuses. No, the time's not right. How many people today in ministry say, you know, I just don't know if it's time for me to serve the Lord. I don't know if it's time for me to do this or that. Yeah, it is. It's about time. Quit putting it off. We're having more children come. We're having more youth come. Quit putting it off. Somebody's got to step up and do something for the Lord. We could do everything else for ourselves. We could go here. We could go there. We could, we could spend time doing this and doing that. We could take this vacation and that vacation. And we can, we can do things with this friend group or that friend group. But, oh, goodness, don't ask me to serve in the church. I don't know if it's the Lord's time. I'll pray about it. The great religious Pharisee excuse of all things. I'll pray about it. Sure you will. You'll forget about it as soon as you walk out the door and never return. He says this People says, listen, there is a notion of contempt and disparagement in the word this people. The Lord does not refer to them as my people, although in light of earlier covenantal promises extended to their ancestors, he might have done so. The word signals at the outset of this message that something was wrong in the relationship between the Lord and the inhabitants of Judah. That's what Richard Taylor says. And this is what these people say. The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. You know, we have told, Julie and I have told our children for years and years that slow obedience is disobedience. Slow obedience is disobedience. I asked you to do this. I don't mean for you to do it in 30 minutes to an hour. I asked you to do this. That means I want it done now. I mean, if I were to say, Hey, in about an hour or about 30 minutes or maybe after we get done with supper, would you do this? That's fine. That's not slow obedience because we're all, we come to an agreement on the time frame as to when that's to be accomplished. But God told them to go back and rebuild the temple. You could go back in, in several different uh, prophets in, in books of the Bible where God specifically speaks about how he was going to put King Cyrus in leadership 
so that they may have a king to allow them to come back and rebuild this temple. And they were hesitant, and they built the foundation. And then they went on their happy little way. Now, I'm gonna, listen, I'm telling you, God, God really lights into them here in just a minute. I ain't even touched the tip of the iceberg on how upset God is with them. Bisbee Franklin wrote this one time. He said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. That's a good quote right there. I thought that's the reason why I got it in here. It ain't in the Bible, but Bisbee Franklin. He said, I never knew a man who was good at making excuses who was good at anything else. So let's, let's address a few reasons why it wasn't a bad time and a few potential reasons why it was a bad time. Then we'll address the real reason the time had not come. Reasons why it wasn't a bad time. Reasons why it wasn't a bad time to build. It was the sixth month. Labor requirements for the harvest was over. It wasn't a bad time because nobody had to, uh, nobody had to go out and harvest anything. People had free time to build this temple. It wasn't a bad time. And then secondly, the issue of the Samaritans interfering was addressed and previously recorded in the book of Ezra. So the Samaritans had already been dealt with. So those two conflicts of excuses of why they couldn't rebuild the temple had been taken off the board. There were some reasons why it may have been a bad time to build. There was political unrest. The unexpected death of Cambyses and the rise of Darius. The times were difficult and families were struggling to provide bare necessities. The thinking that better financial and economic trends would lend a better opportunity. And then the Jews may have viewed a pagan king funding the effort is not kosher. There were a lot of different, there were several reasons why they may not have. But really and truly, none of those hold any water. The bottom line was, is they wanted to do their own thing. They wanted to do their own thing. The time has not yet come is code for I have better things to do. The time has not yet come is code for I've got better things to do. And is that not what we do? Is that not what we do? Uh, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. Let me, let me uh, consider it. You better consider your ways. Consider your ways in making excuses. Listen. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple lying ruin? Listen, Haggai specifically uses a word for panel that implies well-appointed or comfortable. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? This word paneled, in, in different parts of the text of the Old Testament, it talks about like it, it's used in reference to a roof. Like there was no roof on this. Obviously, it was just the foundation. But not even the walls or anything had been put up at this time. But what this is most specifically talking about is the panels around the inside of the walls. They had real fancy walls. and They were doing that. You know what's also interesting is this. In the commentaries that I read, they brought this out that, you know, when they first came back out of exile there in Ezra, King Cyrus gave them all the supplies that they needed, wood, stone, everything, to build the temple in, in totality. But what did they do? They built the foundation, and then they stopped. And then they began to build their paneled houses. How did they do that? I'll tell you how they did that. They took the materials and supplies that were supposed to go to the church, to the temple, and they built their own houses. And Malachi 
He, Malachi, the people say, well, how have we stolen from God through your tithes and offerings? You have refused to give to the Lord's house so that his house may be glorious and he may be glorified in it, is what we'll read later in this text. He says, so that I may dwell in it and take pleasure in it and be glorified in it. And we take things, the blessings that God has given us, and we take them and we put them into our own houses, into our own pleasures, and then we say, well, why can't we do anything at the church? Why is this not doing well? And why is that not doing well? Listen, it's not doing well because we're taking the things that were intended for the temple and we're taking it for our own houses. We got to be cautious about that. We need to make sure that what is the Lord's is the Lord's. Listen, I don't think giving 10% is, is a bad deal. I know a lot of people argue, well, the tithe is an Old Testament thing and all this kind of stuff. It may be, but how minimal is that in regard when you think of God lets you live on 90%? I mean, honestly, the, the skills, the, the ability, the help you have to have an income, man, that's all God giving that to you. And if for us to think that we, that we need to take more than what God gives, 10% is minute. That's the tip of the iceberg if you have used that reference before. Back in the Old Testament, if you really went back, about 60% of their income was tithed. They'd give grain offerings and wave offerings and, and this, that, and the other, and they had to give so much to the temple, they had a lot to do. They had a lot of offerings and tithes that they had to give. 10% and to give cheerfully in that 10%, I think is a small deal to, to bless the Lord so that his ministry, and listen, don't get me wrong. We want a nice facility, right? We want a nice facility. But the most important thing is that we have good ministries. Because if we don't have good ministries, it don't matter what they come to physically. We want them to come to Jesus. The most important thing is that we have good, healthy ministries. How does that come? It comes through the giving of people. It comes through giving back to the Lord. He says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses in this temple to lie in ruins? Now, now listen, Haggai is not condemning their comfortable living. He is condemning this living at the expense of obedience to God's command. I don't think anywhere in the Bible you'll see where God chastises or tells people just because you have money or you're doing well, you're a sinful person. I don't think that's the case. I do believe it's the case when you are in that way. And you don't give as God has blessed you. That's where the issue lies. And really, that's more than just a mon monetary issue. It is a heart issue. It is a heart issue. So consider your ways. Consider your ways in making excuses. The next set of verses there in verses 5 through 6. Consider your ways as to why you're not flourishing. You know, people today, they're like, I don't know why I can't get ahead. Why can't this happen for me? Why is this not going my way? Well, could it be because you're not doing what the Lord's called you to do? You're not submitting to Him? God's laid the foundation. I'm going to jump on this near the end. But, you know, a lot of people, this is what they do. They say, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And the foundation is laid. And then you know what they do? They go live any way in the world that they want to live. Because you know what they've not done? Confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in their heart that God raised his son from the dead. 
There's no walls. There's no roof to their faith. It's just a foundation. You can't do a whole lot in a building that's only a foundation, right? But you can do a whole lot in a building that's complete. You want a complete house? You want a complete temple? Confess him as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised us from the dead. And you shall be saved. What you going to be saved from? Standing on a foundation only building. You have no protection from the elements outside. There's no roof. There's no walls. There's no heating. There's no cooling. There's nothing. It's just the foundation. You're exposed. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, confess Jesus as your Savior. Nowhere does it say that. It says, confess him as Lord. And a Lord knows his dominion. He knows his property. He knows what's his. He knows how to care for it. There's so many people today, they want a relationship that is based on a Savior and not a Lord. They want a foundation, but they don't want a house. We've got to have Jesus Christ is, is, is our Lord, and then he will become our Savior. Listen to that, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord first, believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead, Second, third, you shall be saved. You see the order of that? It's not confess you'll be saved. First, by grace through faith. And by faith you proclaim that Jesus is Lord. It's how it works. But we want to build a foundation while the temple lies in ruin. You wonder why your house, why, why your life is in unrest and it's not settled and it's not going anywhere. Listen to this. These folks were struggling. This is not, and honestly, listen, this is not a message to rich folks, honestly. Because the rich folks didn't come back to Jerusalem. They didn't want to sacrifice what they had in Babylon. They didn't want to come back. They said, we, we, well, we, we've done what Jeremiah said. We married. We, we had kids. They got married. We planted gardens. We, we gathered from the gardens. We, we prayed for our city. It's prospered. Uh, you know, and then some of them might have been too old to make the travel back. So they all stayed, many stayed. I mean, it was a very small portion. Uh, there was a very small remnant that returned from exile to rebuild this temple. And it was a majority poor and middle, lower middle class folks that came back to do this. And listen at the struggles. You would think, well, we're doing what God did, God said for us to do. We came back. We built this foundation. We've done these different things. Why is the Lord not blessing us? Well, 16 years later, you ain't done nothing. You laid a foundation and you ain't done nothing else. You prepped the ground, you laid it out, you laid a foundation, and you went about taking care of yourself. You became selfish. And, and we're all guilty of this. I'm not pointing fingers out at you that I ain't pointing at myself. We do something for the Lord. We think we've done something good. And then we go satisfy ourselves for a while. And we don't really build on what God has given us. Look there at what it says there in verse 5. He says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. There it is again. Consider your ways. The NIV translates consider into give careful thought to your ways. When we take time to evaluate our actions and choices, normally they'll change to reflect a better thought, a better thought out desire. Verse 5, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Five different ways, here he tells them to consider five different things. He says, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. 
and he who earns wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. Listen, consider your ways as to why you're not flourishing. When we're focusing on ourselves so much, and we're not focusing on the work of the Lord, whether that be a ministry of it or whether it's something that needs to be done here at this church, listen, I can look around and I can tell you some things that need to be addressed. We could use some help getting a few things done around here. All right? We could. I mean, you look around our congregation. We've got, we've got some people that love to do things around the church, but our congregation's getting a little older. I mean, we've got a, a good core of younger folks as well. But we've got to get some things done around here, guys. I mean, they're not like the, the, churches, the church facilities that are cave in or nothing over them be, not being done. But listen, we want to, just as, just as our worship should be excellent because our heart is pure, our facilities should be in, in the best condition they could be so that when people come in and you have guests come in, listen, there's a few places. If I, I'm going to kind of come off my notes here for just a minute. But when, when somebody comes into your visit, your church, there's a few areas that have to be top notch. Few areas that have to be. And you may say, what is that, Pastor? Well, it's your children's space back here. Your children's space and your nursery and stuff like that, that needs to be top notch. No young families will come in and leave their kids in a space that looks dark or dun dun dirty or like a dungeon you know what i'm saying now granted our church has done some upgrades and done some care and it's nice you know it's it's nice all right but you also need volunteers to help serve back there because if you're leaving six kids with one person in a nursery that's challenging i mean if one person's changing the diaper of a baby over here where's the other five who's paying attention to them you, you your children's ministry especially the younger they are is vital to the church now, this might sound weird, too, but your restrooms need to be nice, too. I'm talking about campus stuff, okay, not just ministry stuff, okay? I'm talking about campus stuff. Your restrooms need to be nice. Everybody in the church probably goes to the restroom at least once while they're here, just about, right? But not everybody goes in every single Sunday school room, and obviously your sanctuary needs to be is, is well cared for as well. I think our sanctuary looks very nice. I'm telling you, man, the, the, the renovation that came about due to the unfortunate water damage that happened a few years ago this sanctuary is beautiful listen we got you got to take care of the house of the lord there's a few things in here that, that uh, we've, we've looked at that we've got to address but overall this is a beautiful sanctuary and it helps it helps to keep people's focus on the word of god it helps to bring people's hearts closer to god and you may say really yes i mean you think if you came into somewhere and and sheetrock was crumbling off the wall. Do you think your mind's going to be focused a whole lot on God? I'd be thinking, is it going to fall on me during the service? You know? I'd be thinking, is, is the ceiling going to cave in? You know, what's going to happen? And so a lot of times you want, I mean, like, and you may say, Pastor, that's silly. No, it's not. If you're a guest, if you've ever visited another church, another church facility, you know, you're, you're taking in everything around you. We got to take care of what God has blessed us with. It's what we've got to do. And so we need to consider our ways. He says there, you have so much of bringing little. This, they had abundant planting. They had a lot of people that were planting. Planting, uh, planting gardens and things of that nature. But it's produced meager harvests. He said, you eat but do not have enough. Your food supply is insufficient to satisfy hunger. You drink but you are not filled with drink. Drink is in limited supply so to quench thirst. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. Clothing quality and quantity is inadequate to meet protective needs. 
He who earns wages, earns wages to put him in a bag with holes. Wages have little to no purchase power, is what it's saying. Barely able to maintain a living. And local churches can't expand their budgets for world evangelism because the money isn't there. And yet many church members don't believe Matthew 6.33 and put God first in their giving. Measured by third world standards, Christians in the Western world are living in luxury. Yet their giving is low and their debts are high because their wealth is being used for things that really don't matter. That's what Warren Wearsby said. Listen, consider your ways as to why you're not flourishing. Because we're putting ourselves above the work of the Lord. We need to make sure that we're doing the service of the Lord. And last point, consider your ways as to why God is working against you. A lot of times we don't think about that. We think, oh, it's the devil. The devil's stopping me from doing this. I can't do this because of the devil. Sometimes you can't do it because God is not pleased with you. God don't want you to succeed because you're succeeding in your own life apart from him. And you're not giving him any glory. We got to consider our ways as to why God is working against you. Look there in verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, he says, consider your ways. And this is what he tells them. He gives them three uh, imperative things to do. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build the temple for the purpose of that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. To take pleasure in is part of the theological vocabulary of the Hebrew Bible. It is often used to signify the Lord's uh, acceptance of persons or sacrificial offerings. And be glorified can be understood to mean the Lord will be pleased once again to manifest himself within the temple. He's saying, go build this temple. Go build this temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Now, this is a physical temple that he's talking about in the Old Testament. He was wanting the people to have something in the center of their culture and society that people could see was set apart for the one true God, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh God. Come here. Know him. He is great. He is mighty. He is holy. This is where we go. And yet there sat a foundation to which many people, if they were not Jews, but yet they were traveling through this area, would have no clue what the purpose of that thing was. And so many people today in their own lives, they've, there's been a foundation laid, but nothing built on it. So people walk through your life and they don't see anything about it. They don't see anything about Jesus. Nothing that draws them in. Nothing that holds them in. And yet we live on a foundation, but with no house of Christ. We've got to have him first and foremost in our lives. Look there in verse 9. He says, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. He's, and when, it, when you brought it home, I blew it away. I blew it away. The devil didn't blow it away. Everybody says, oh, the devil did this, the devil did that. God might be blowing away your efforts because it's all selfish. It's all based in what you want for yourself. It's in a wrong motive. It's not in a pursuit to glorify God so that he may be glorified in it. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house that is in ruins, excuse me, because, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Listen, one commentary said this, this thought of running to their own homes is a contrast to their efforts to the house of the Lord. They were neither running to the house of the Lord or rebuilding the house of the Lord. 
They were setting their hearts and hands toward their own pursuits and achievements while ignoring the Lord both physically and spiritually. They were running to their own homes, but they were not going, running, or rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And according to verse 9, what little gain they brought to the wrong house, their own house rather than the house of the Lord. They were bringing it to the wrong house. We got to make sure that we're bringing the things to the Lord. Verse 10, therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Right there, we see again, God says, for I called for the drought. I blew away what you were building. I brought the drought. You know why? Because you're not building my house. You're not building my temple. Now, in today's society, we know that we don't have a physical, there's, there's not a physical temple. We know there's a, there's a facility here, here. But you know, what is the temple today? The temple today is each one of us. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Matter of fact, in reference to his own body, Jesus said in John 2, 19 through 21, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. You see how long it took them to build that temple? It's taken us 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. There, there was a foundation there that was laid there in Ezra. And for 16 years, no house was built. For you and me, you may have called upon the Lord to be your Savior. But you've never allowed him to be the Lord. You've never let him build the house. You may have let him lay a foundation, but you ain't never let him build the house. Today, you need to let the Lord build your house we got to move past that foundation alone. And now, granted, he needs to be our foundation. He needs to be our chief cornerstone. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But we need to make sure that God, Jesus Christ, is our all in all. He is our Lord and not just the Savior. He needs to know all of us. He needs to have all of us. If you have never made a profession of faith in your life, if you have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, you can lay the foundation and start letting the walls be erected and let the roof be put on there. And you can start living in the paneled house of the Lord and start living in, and stop living in your own paneled houses that you're building, which are weak and shoddy. Built out there. And some of those houses probably were built on leftover wood. Who knows how good it was after it sat out for a while. But I want to tell you this. If you build on the eternal, never-changing power of Jesus Christ, you ain't got to worry about it. It'll last for eternity. If you need to make a decision today to make Jesus your Lord, I pray you'll come down and talk to me. If you, if you are lost, do that. He is seeking you today.